0: Those of you who have cell phones know that they've always got a better deal for you. In fact, someone told me recently that their cell phone company called and they asked that inevitable question, the question being, may we review your calling plan to see whether we can save you some money? Now, usually they would just say no thanks and hang up. But this time, for some reason, they listened and the agent told them Wow, I just looked at your plan, and you've had this plan for about 10 years. Our rates are lower now. We can offer you twice as many minutes as you've had before per month for about half the price. We can even eliminate roaming fees. We can just save you lots of money. Well, they decided to accept that new cell phone offer, and sure enough, when the next bill came in, it was dramatically less than before. For years, they had been living under that old contract, and even though the old contract was acceptable, they were offered a brand new contract, one that was much, much better. You know, In the same way, friends, God made a contract with his people. It's a covenant with his people, and then after a period of time, as we heard in our reading from Jeremiah today, he offered them a new contract. He offered them a new covenant, one that is much, much better than the first. See, the old covenant was centered on the law of Moses. The new covenant he wants to sign us to is centered on Jesus. In the book of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says the new covenant is a better covenant than the old one because it is founded on better promises. Now, centuries before Jesus ever came into this world, God told his people about a covenant that he would make with them. He said that to them, in effect, this is the kind of God I will be for you. <clears throat> and his new covenant is better, though, for a couple of key reasons. One is this new covenant that he wants to make with his people is based not on law, but it is based on the grace of God, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Second of all, the old covenant was made with just one nation of people living in one small part of the world. But this new covenant that God brings to his people is for everyone, is for all races, races, all nations, all people. Now I want you to understand something that's very important here. And the fact that God would actually make a new covenant with us, a new contract, tells us something about his nature. See, he made a new contract with his people, even though we never kept the old contract. Verse 32 of our text says, they broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them. Isn't that interesting? God pictures us being in a marriage relationship, and essentially what God has said, I kept my part of the bargain, even though the bride was unfaithful. See, this is where the cell phone uh, contract analogy kind of goes off course. See, they offered a new contract because somebody had been faithful in paying for the old one. Now, if they had not kept that old cell phone contract, guess what would happen? If they didn't pay for the bill, they wouldn't be offered a new deal. They would have had their phone turned off, and the contract would have been canceled, and who knows, if you owed money on it, maybe they'd even send it to a collection agency. You see, God made a new contract with the human race in spite of the fact, rather because of the fact, that we weren't able to keep the old one. And today I want to take a look at these words again from Isaiah, the 31st chapter, a closer look at God's commitment to the human race. But I want you to also think, even though he's made this commitment to the entire human race, he has made this commitment to each and every one of you. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, he tells us exactly what kind of God he will be for us. First of all, in this text, God says, I'm a God you can believe in. See, in Jeremiah, God tells us that our relationship with him is a personal matter. The foundation of our relationship with God is not a matter of political persuasion. I mean, the Republican Party has no hold on God any more than the Democratic Party has a hold on God. It's not based on our racial heritage. It doesn't make any difference whether we are Jewish, whether we are Greek, whether we are black, white, You know, like the old song says, red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in his sight. Our relationship is built on faith. See, in the very same way, our relationship with God is not built on church membership. It's a personal matter. It's a matter of the heart. The important thing, as far as God is concerned, is not that we go through certain rituals or jump through certain hoops or that we are born into a certain family or that we even go to church every Sunday. The important thing to God is that you and I have a personal relationship heart-deep relationship with him. There are a couple of Hebrew words I always liked, and they are lebkaber. It means to have a heart partnership, that we ought to be partners of the heart with God. As God's heart beats, so beats our heart. And there are two aspects of this heart partnership relationship. Two different phases of this heart-deep relationship. One of them is this. God has given each of us an internal compass so that we might know him personally. Verse 33 of our text says, I will put my law into their minds, and I will write it into their hearts. Now, to a certain extent, all people have that internal compass. We sometimes call it a conscious. Every society, every culture throughout history has had some form of concept of good and evil, right and wrong. And you have a basic understanding of right and wrong all your life that goes way beyond certain cultural mores or laws of this society. It is the law of God that is written into the hearts of his people. In the New Testament, God says, I'm going to take that moral I'm going to take that internal compass and I'm going to take it a step further. And so, what does He do for us? You know, as you were brought to a baptismal font as a child, whether you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior at some later point in life, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes into your life. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts, to guide us in the way of truth. We now have what I like to call the resident president living in us. We have the ultimate GPS system. God's pointing system its called the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what God says about the Holy Spirit. Let me give you just a few passages. I think they're on your outline from just the Gospel of John. Chapter 14, you know him. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. For he lives with you and will be in you. Chapter 16, when he comes, he will... Convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Elsewhere in chapter 16, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you in all truth. You see, friends, in this new covenant, God gives us an an internal compass so that we may know Him personally and have a relationship with Him based on faith. See, God is a God to believe in. Now, there's a second aspect of this heart partnership or this heart-deep relationship, and it is that God has given us direct access to him. How important is direct access to anyone? Uh, A few months back, in fact, it was in January, I was down teaching at Louisiana State Prison in Angola. After teaching all day, I stopped to visit one of my good friends by the name of Bill Ollis, and Bill Ollis is an oil painter, and those of you who have been in our house have seen any number of oil paintings that Bill Ollis has done, and he, he gave me a brand new one, and I was carrying it through the prison, and when I got to the main gate, you walk between one set of iron doors that clang behind you, and you stand in the middle, and you've got to check out before they open up that next gate. And the gate officer looked at me and asked me if I had a hobbycraft note. In other words, did I have permission to take that painting out of the the, the prison? And I said, uh, no, I had no hobbycraft note. A prisoner had given it to me, and I suggested that she call Warden Kane's office. And she looked at me, and she refused. Instead, she decided to follow a certain hierarchy of protocol. And I said, you know, we can shorten this. She said, I'm gonna call, and she began calling. One call, no one in. Second call, nobody there. Third call, they'll be back later. Fourth call, no answer. And I said, look, just call Warden Kane's office, talk to Miss Stephanie there. And she looked at me and she finally gave in And she picked up the phone, and the conversation went this way. I heard the entire conversation. Hello, this is Officer Smith, and I have Dr. Cole." That's all she said. And then she sat there bug-eyed and listened for about 30 seconds and put down the phone, and she said, you're free to go. She buzzed me out. Now, I must admit that I was suddenly quite impressed with myself having direct access to the head of the prison. See, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Now, some people think that God has this hierarchy of access to himself too, that you've got to go through all of these channels. They think you need to have a priest or a pope or a bishop or a preacher or a pastor who lives somehow on a slightly higher ground than you do, who have a better reception or a better connection with the Almighty. I'm amazed at how many people email me and say, I think you probably have a better connection with the big guy upstairs than me. Will you pray? And I always write back and say, hey, I'm on the same wavelength you are. I mean, I don't have a special connection. I may have a card in my wallet that says I'm an ordained pastor of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, but guess what? That's not getting me into heaven. It doesn't get me any better access to God than the access you have. But we do have a mediator. We do have somebody who goes between us. 1 Timothy chapter <clears throat> 2, verse 5 says that we have Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. He is the one who enables us to have direct and immediate access to God, and the access is the same for all of us, every person on the planet. You know and I pray, you know my prayers are no more powerful than your prayers. I have the same access to God that you have. you know every time I ever think about praying, I, I get this wonderful image of God sitting on his throne in heaven, and Jesus. Sitting at His right hand, and the Holy Spirit sitting there on the left. And when I pray and I'm talking to God, guess what? The Bible says sometimes we don't quite know what to say, and maybe that's why we think we have to have other people to do it for us. You know that pastors know more these and thouest and mayest and whosoeverest or something like that. But you know sometimes the words just don't come out right. But I have this picture as well, I pray. That the Holy Spirit is there, leaning over, whispering in God's ear, I know Barry's not making much sense. This is what he's trying to say. Because isn't that what the Bible says? He takes our innermost groanings and he translates them to the Father. And so while the Holy Spirit is saying, This is what he's trying to say, I've got Jesus sitting on the other side who's whispering in God's ear and saying, And by the way, he's one of ours. He's one of ours. And see, I've got a wonderful mediator. Those, that's all I really need to approach the throne of God. I've got Jesus on my side. I've got the Holy Spirit who translates my prayers for me. See, when it comes to knowing God, friends, we're all on equal ground. Jeremiah says in verse 34 No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now, this verse is not saying that we don't need Bible teachers. It's not saying that we don't need preachers. It's just saying that you don't need anyone else. You don't need a preacher, a priest, a prophet, or a prince to dictate to you the details of your relationship with God. Now, as a pastor, certainly, it is my job to teach the Scriptures. But your relationship with God does not involve me at all. Your relationship is a personal relationship between you and God. It's a matter of heart. He's a God to believe in. Here's the second thing he tells us here in our scriptures today. He says, I'm also a God that you can depend on. Verse 33 God tells us exactly what kind of relationship he wants with us. He says, I will be their God, they will be my people. What God is saying is, you're going to belong to me, I'm going to belong to you, and you can count on that forever. In fact, he goes on to say in verses 36 and 37, I'm as likely to reject my people Israel as I am to do away with the laws of nature. Not until the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth explored will I consider casting them away forever because of their sins. In other words, friends, you can count on God to be there no matter what. Forever and ever. When you accept the new covenant, when you come into this relationship with God, you belong to Him. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, and I would highly recommend you read the entire Old Testament, you're going to see a reoccurring theme that will develop. The reoccurring theme is simply this, God takes care of his people. See, even when they fall, even when they fail, God takes care of his people. He provides for them. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and there were consequences for their sin, but God did not stop being their God. In fact, the Bible says that God even made them close Joseph. Remember how miserably he was treated by his own brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, God took care of Joseph when he was mistreated. And years later, God used Joseph to save his entire family from starvation. Think about how God took care of Moses, a murderer. Yeah, I said murder. He murdered a person. He saved him from death as an infant. Years later, he used him to lead his people back out of Egypt. When they got to the Red Sea, what did God do? God parted the waters for him. When the people were hungry, what did he do? He gave them food to eat. When they were thirsty, what did God do? He gave them water to drink. And during the day, what would God do? God would provide a cloud at, by day, and he would put fire behind them at night to keep the enemies away. And as you kind of work your way through the Old Testament, you see again and again how God takes care of his people. Again, maybe a slightly different summary of the Old Testament. Follow God. He'll take care of you. He is a God that you can depend on. And then when you get done with the Old Testament, friends, I highly recommend the New Testament. It's good, too. And when you go through that, you're going to see much the same thing. Time and time again, we're told to take all of our problems, all of our concerns all of our cares turn them over to God. Let me give you a few examples. Again, I think they're probably on your outline. Peter says, "Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you." Anybody been anxious lately? Worried about anything? Who would you talk to? You know some people the last person they talk to is God. God says, "Hey, I'm over here. Throw them on me. I can deal with them." Paul says, my God will meet a few of your needs occasionally. No. I'm glad somebody caught that. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And you know, there may be some of you here today who do not believe that for one minute, and I suggest that's because you have never tried. You've never really tried. Even Jesus, what does Jesus say? Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Oh, Sometimes we're so worried about what we're going to eat. My wife and I drove down to Louisiana State Prison on Friday and Saturday for the Returning Hearts uh, thing, and um, she was reading me something out of the Texarkana Gazette, Fashion Tips for Men. So after I listened to those, I said, are there any in there for women? <laughs> there were. But she was reading me all the stuff that I should worry about, that I should wear to be fashionable. Like, even though you live in Texas, no big buckles unless you think you really are a cowboy. And You know, match your shoes and your so- See, we worry about that stuff. You know, what am I going to wear? What am I going to wear? What should I wear to this? And then we're worried about what we're going to eat. We've got a potluck today. Oh, what should I make? Oh, what should I make? Oh, what should I make? You know, what if they don't like what I take? We worry about that stuff. We drive ourselves crazy. You know, and what does God say? He said, check out the birds. I saw enough roadkill and turkey buzzards and ravens the other day. They were all getting their meal yesterday. I mean, God took care of them. I mean, he even saw fit to grill some stuff so <laughs> with your grill in your car so the birds had something to eat. It says, how much more valuable are you than a bird? And then driving down on Friday, you go by all of the stuff that is blooming. Have Have you slowed down enough lately, folks, to see all the white and the purples and the greens and stuff like that? It's absolutely beautiful. It says, God does that. How much more won't he take care of you? All I'm saying, let me put it another way, in your darkest hour, in your weakest moment, in your most desperate of times, you can depend on God. Throughout history, God has provided for his people, God has protected his people, and God will do the same for you too. He is a God you can believe in, and he is a God that you can depend on. Here's the third thing. He says, I'm not only one you can believe in and depend on, I'm a God you can turn to. You can turn to me. See, when you get to the end of your rope, when was the last time you ever said that? I'm at the end of my rope. That's the point when God says, That's great, let go. Now I can handle it. Or, You're on my last nerve. Hey, when you get to that point, when you're at the end of yourself, when you have nowhere else to turn to, you can turn to God. I mean, if guilt is eating you up, if regrets are holding you back, you can turn to God. If you can't find peace, if you can't find a place of rest anywhere in your life, you can turn to God. If you have failed once, if you have failed twice, if you have failed a thousand times, you can turn to God, and He will never turn away. Nancy and I saw a vivid example of that in the last two days. We went down to a Louisiana State prison in Angola for the Returning Hearts program. In the prison the other day, about... Nine hundred to a thousand children were allowed to come into prison for the day to spend the day with their daddies. About four hundred and fifty men or so had their children able to come in and spend a whole day with them. It took four hundred and fifty some volunteers to see to that that would happen and the young man who preached not only on Friday night but the young man who preached on Saturday afternoon, you know had messages about how they had failed, how they had failed their families, how they had failed their communities, but most importantly, how they had failed their children. But then we're very quick to add, but God had forgiven even those failures, had forgiven the crimes, had forgiven them for being failures even as fathers, and was willing to give them a second chance that some people would tell you the best thing that ever happened to them was when the judge banged down the gavel and said, life sentence at Angola. Because they finally came to the end of themselves. These big, rough, tough guys suddenly had nowhere else to turn except to Jesus. And it's there when he was waiting with his arms open and say, I can even take care of this. Verse 34 of our text says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, friends, don't just think God forgives the sins and the wickedness of people who are in prison. I'm looking at a whole bunch of sinners right now. You turn around, you'll see a few. You don't have to turn around. You just look at me and see a big one. I mean, even Paul said what? Chief of sinners. Head guy, Paul says. See, when you need forgiveness, who are you going to turn to? Not Ghostbusters. I mean, Who are you going to turn to? You turn to God. He's a God that you can turn to. Well, he offers forgiveness. And God offers forgiveness forgiveness that is a whole lot different than the forgiveness you and I offer somebody comes to us and they say I'm sorry forgive me we go hey I'll forgive but I'm never gonna forget and so we want to hold that hammer over them somehow but God says no friend your forgiveness is complete it's absolute It's all-encompassing. In fact, when I forgive your sins, I'm going to take them and bury them in the deepest part of the sea. And then God puts up a sign that says, and no fishing. Don't ever let the devil take you fishing. Because he'll take you back to the deepest part of the sea and want you to drop your line. God says, stay away from that. See, that's the new covenant that God makes with the human race. He sent his son into this world. Not to condemn the world. That's what it says right after John 3.16, by the way. You keep on reading. Didn't come to condemn us, but came to save us. And when Jesus began his ministry on this earth, he too was baptized by John the Baptist. And when Jesus came walking down, do you remember what John the Baptist said? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. See, that's what Jesus did. He paid the price for your sin. When he died on that cross, the sins of the world were placed on his shoulders, and he paid for every last one of them. The Apostle John in, in 1 John said, He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Or one of my favorite verses, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we do what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, that means he's fair, he will forgive our sins, he will purify us from all unrighteousness. See, when you fail, God is a God you can turn to. God has promised to forgive you. He's promised to remember your sins no more. I mean, God has made a commitment to this world a commitment, a covenant, a contract. The problem is a lot of people in this world don't know what that covenant and commitment even is yet. How many of you like to share good deals with other people? I mean, most of us do. You see a good movie, what do you do? You tell people about it. You find a good restaurant to eat at, you tell other people because you want them to enjoy it too unless you're kind of a selfish little creep and don't want anybody to go to that restaurant and take your seat. You know, you have a fun experience at the ballpark, and what do you do? You tell people about it. You want to share that experience. You want them to have the same joy you have. There are a lot of people out in the world, friends, who do not know the covenant, the commitment that you and I are enjoying. This covenant in which he makes himself available, not just to us, not just to Lutherans, but to everybody. A God you can believe in. A God you can believe in from the heart. He's a God who you can depend on. He will take care of you. He's a God that you can turn to, even when you have nowhere else to turn to. Now you say, how can I get me some of that? The answer is very simple. All you need to do is accept his offer. I don't know, maybe there are some of you today that have never accepted his offer. You've just basically walked around the tires of the church and kicked them. You've just kind of kept God at arm's length out there. For some reason, you have this weird picture of God as being mean or invict- vindictive or not caring or, you know, a killjoy or whatever. But God is, I can I tell you, I mean, I've had people tell me, oh, God's a killjoy, God's this guy. God. I said, well, that's not the one I believe in. I mean, my God is a God you can believe in. I mean, my God is a God that, What's the best for me? And if you want the best for you, it's as simple as saying, Lord, give it to me. I want it. And even if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, like many of you for, you know, hundreds of years, well, not hundreds, a few years, the covenant is still the foundation for your relationship with God. I mean, I've been a Christian for over 60 years. That's the foundation I've stood on. All of those those years. And that foundation has never shifted. The foundation has never cracked. The foundation has never leaked. The foundation has never crumbled. The foundation has always been there. I've been able to believe in him from my heart. I've been able to depend on him daily for my needs. I've been able to turn to him for mercy and forgiveness. And he's always been there. That's God's Commitment to you as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God that we can believe in. Thank you for being a God that we can depend upon. And thank you for being a God that we can turn to. Lord, you'll always be there. And may we enjoy this commitment. May we rejoice in it daily. And may may we also learn to share the good news of that with others. In Jesus' name, amen.